You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Starting the presence, we begin in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, where it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, everything that happened means, of course, what took place with Jesus in those days. Jesus of Nazareth, as they will mention in a moment, we know that Jesus had uh, paid the price for... Uh, for all of us on the cross, and the disciples at this point are after that. In other words, Jesus has died. He, he was taken off the cross. He was put in the tomb. At this point, Jesus has already risen from the dead, but they do not know that. At least they do not believe that. Actually, they do know it. They have been informed, and they chose not to believe what the women said they saw, and they downplayed exactly what it was, and we're going to talk about that later also. But I want to start by thinking about the presence of the Lord because it's a great example of people doing something together and not knowing that God is with them. So therefore, we know that the God that the God we serve, Jesus in presence today, the Holy Spirit can be with us and we may not recognize or know that He's there. There's a lot of people out there that are oblivious to the presence of God, which causes them not to be able to take advantage of certain benefits rights, even privileges that we can take from the presence of God. So I think we always need to discern or learn, discern the presence of God. And here in this story, these guys are on their way to this place called Emmaus. I find it interesting that that word Emmaus, Hamath, Haman, it means to be warm. The name of the place means heat or hot. And I was thinking when I was looking at this, of when I was a boy, we used to play a game called um, hot or not in the sense that you would hide an object in a room and you would not tell the other person where it was. Let's say that I, I had uh, whatever it was, uh, an egg or something or some treat or a chocolate bar. I could hide it and be a present for someone but to tease them. I would hide it somewhere in the room, uh, let's say um, under the printer, and then we would play the game. And you would start to look for it, let's see, let's see, and the closer you got to it, I would say that you were getting warmer. It's just the game we played. If you moved away from it, how many of you have heard of this game? Okay, this morning in the Chinese church, they were looking at me like a cat looking at a new gate. They were like, huh? So apparently it's something more connected to Western culture. But if you moved away from it, you would say you're getting colder. You're getting colder, you're freezing, there's ice falling on, you know, we, we exaggerate. You turn around, you're getting warmer, 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 warm, no, colder, colder, colder. And then you can kind of get your bearings. And eventually, when you move toward the place where the object was hidden, we'd say you're getting warmer, 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 you're getting hot, hot, you're burning up. And that would tell you that you were like right in the exact vicinity of the object that you're looking for. And almost like a Geiger counter. You would know, it's right here somewhere, and you'd get frantic. And my mother used to use this uh, when we had trouble finding the hidden Easter basket or hidden Easter eggs. She would hide a lot of things. I don't know why she really liked that. One time, speaking of Mother's Day, I remember I used to play tricks on her, too. She'd play tricks on me, but I would play tricks on her. I remember the one trick that backfired. Uh, I <clears throat> had a clamshell. You know those big ornate clamshells with spines hanging out of it? It was a big one. 
and it had nothing in it, but you could open and close it. It still had the hinge in place. And we had a discarded lawnmower in the backyard that had a throttle cable. So at the it had this throttle you could move back and forth, and within a wound coil tube was the wire that moved back and forth to actuate the actual throttle and the engine from the throttle handle. And I rigged this up, it took me hours. I rigged it up back behind the bookshelf to the top shelf and connected it, and I hope my mom's watching this so she can remember this, because she will remember it. And I connected the, the, the end of it to the back of the clamp. So you could, in essence, open and close the clamp from down low on top of the shelf. And so I was playing the same kind of game with my mother, and I, I led her all the way to look on the top shelf. She actually had to get on a chair to look, and when she got up there, of course, I, bah, I opened up the clamshell. Totally freaked her out. And it's so funny because in hysterics, all she did, she slapped me. She couldn't think of anything else to do. She just, ah, bam, slapped me in the face. And I remember being shocked at first, and then I started laughing, knowing that I certainly deserved that slap in the face. So, um, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Thank you for that. I know that you, you certainly uh, were in your right to do it, but we played this game. And I think of this with these guys on the way to Emmaus. They're on the way to this place, but they're cold. And I related it because the further they get, or the closer they get to a mouse, the hotter they get. They get warmer and warmer as they go along. Finally, by the time they get to a mouse, they're on fire. And they're hot, and they're right. They're finally discovering the hidden object. And the hidden object is Jesus himself with them. Walking with them. Talking with them. And so we see that they're talking here about Jesus. And talking with each other about everything that had happened, these events, of course, they were looking at it from a negative perspective. They were looking at death. They were focused on death. They were focused on the negative. And sometimes it's hard to see the life that is standing next to you when you are lying in a tomb. Sometimes we make our bed with skeletons and we become so, so darkened by the death of things in life not understanding or accepting the fact, as we'll actually see in this, that a winter must precede a spring. There must be the depth of winter to be the life of spring. It is a process through which all things have life. So we go through this transformation process when it comes, but it's never comfortable, it's never fun. It was not fun for the disciples to have to endure this season. You understand? They put all their hopes in this man called Jesus. They, they sold everything. They sacrificed. They laid their lives down. They gave up their businesses. They had alternate paths to where they were on, but they laid them all down because they had an expectation and a dream that they would be able to be a part of something great, the ministry of Jesus. They can be with Jesus, and they even wanted to reign at His right and His left, and sit with Him, and be with Him, and be a part of it. But never did they understand that that would take place, but there was a process through which they would have to rise to that place. And that process was involving great loss. And it's hard to, to put it in perspective for ourselves, but it is, it is their, their Messiah. It is their hope. All their hopes were put in this man called Jesus. And to their shock, knowing it would never be possible, and there's no way that they can kill him, 
They killed him. So now the only attitude they have is a dark attitude. An attitude of pain, suffering, and loss. All they know is a tomb. In fact, they cannot possibly accept the idea of Jesus actually being alive. They've blocked it out of their minds because when you're in a tomb and you're lying amongst the bones, you do not see life. And that's the same thing in this world. In this world, there's darkness. In the presence of God, there's life. He calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And He does that by the reality of His presence in our, in our lives. In this passage, we're going to see how the disciples did not see Jesus, but eventually saw Jesus. This is a path to them having their eyes open to experience and see Jesus. That does not mean that Jesus was not with them. And this is the thing we have to understand that even in the seasons of death, even in the seasons that, that are dark, in the winters of life, Jesus never leaves. He's always right there, just as He is with them. We just don't always see it. And it is not His plan for you to see it. That's the whole purpose. The transformative power of the season of death is to make you believe that it is all over and believe that there is death. When in fact there's life, you just don't understand the process that you will never resurrect to the new permutation of yourself until you go through the tomb. And this is exactly what I, what I see in this passage. So in this message, we're going to examine this story. And we're going to see a progression of their discernment of the presence of Jesus and Jesus' help as a teacher to bring them there. Because they're cold right now, but Jesus is along the way is going to say, you're getting warmer. Getting warmer, getting warmer, they're getting hot, and then finally their eyes are going to be open. So we're going to see seven things we do to discern the presence of God. And we begin with the first one. Number one, discuss Jesus. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Because that's what happens when you talk about Jesus. I can talk with anybody about Jesus, saved or lost and Jesus will be there. What does it say? When two or more gather in my name. If the name is mentioned, understand the person gathered with you, believer or not, is still part of the equation. And I have seen this truth play out effectively again and again. All the time that I'm at the kitchen, tell people about Jesus, they feel it. Wherever I am, in any circumstance, in any environment, if we discuss things about Jesus, Jesus himself comes. Of course, today, he's with us in spirit. And they have always known Jesus in physicality, but now it's time for them to learn to know Jesus in a new way. And for them to be able to discern it, they're going to have to be taught again. Because they've only known the physical. And Jesus already told them, it's better that I go away, because that go away, the Spirit will come. But He comes up to them, and He walks along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. Now this is kind of a passive construction that puts no blame on anyone for why they couldn't see. In other words, they were kept. But kept by what? It doesn't say Jesus kept them It did in this case. It just says they were kept from seeing. It could be from various things. I, in this message, subscribe to the idea that what kept them was their negative mentality. That they were thinking grave-minded. They were thinking patterns of death. All they could see was the end. Not knowing that the beginning had already begun. It already started, but they could only see the end. They only saw death. They did not accept resurrection, and Jesus had to bring them out of that. Because that's the mercy of our God. When we're in that place, He wants to use it as an object lesson to bring us through. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. There is the countenance of their attitude, a downcast face. He's asking them, and their face is downcast. It literally means looking down. Maybe they didn't see Jesus because they were so depressed they didn't even look up to look him in the eyes. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but that is the, how the attitude in a spiritual context, the emotional context, can affect us. If we're negative-minded and we only see the negative side of things, it will darken our vision and we cannot see the bright light that is Jesus and the plan that he has. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood there, faces downcast. Uh, one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So as they're walking along here, they're talking to each other specifically about Jesus. He comes up to them. Uh, why do you suppose he did this? Because he wants to bring them out. He wants to teach them. I ask this question, if it were not for that, if he did not have an ulterior motive specifically in doing this as it was done, don't you think he could have easily shown up on the road in splendid glory with light beams and a choir of angels and a crown on his head and oh, standing out in the road and they all fall under the pile? Of course he could have done that. He had all power and authority already given to him. He was in his manifested, resurrected form. He could do whatever he wanted, but instead he comes incognito, if you would, because he needed to help them cross a line. Out of the physical, into the spiritual. If there's one central theme to the teachings of Jesus that falls through every sermon, every parable, everything, it's to cause us to get our minds off the natural and on the spiritual. To stop looking at the practical or the physical things of life and start looking at the spiritual. And he was always working with them to break their gaze and their focus. If they were, if they were feeling stable, if they were feeling comfortable on a certain foundation that was physical, that was of this life, uh, Jesus wants to break it up. He wants that there be no dependence on anything else but spirit. And this is a fact in the Word of God. Here they are walking. I believe that his desire with these two was to lead them through this path of spiritual logic, a development of this logic, and a progressive recognition or progressive learning to discern the presence of Jesus that is with, their, with them right now, but because they're not looking for it, they're negative-minded, they can't see it. I want to consider the elements of the passage from Malachi. Malachi 3.16. Uh, we don't have any now. You know the passage we studied last week? Last week we looked at it and we said that on that day he says he will gather them. It says that they're his treasured possession. It said there those that talked to each other. It says those who fear the Lord and talked with each other, remember. So as we talk to each other, as we discuss him, and it, it, he comes in the midst of us. And the point is to develop a God consciousness. Look, how many of you have seen Infinity War? I'm not going to pull analogies from it. I'm just going to make it an analogy. If I talk to you, I immediately want to know first, have you seen it? Why? Because you either do or you don't have an Infinity War consciousness. If you've seen it, I can usually tell by the look on your face that you have. Oh. And so then, I can speak to you about things, about it. My son had not seen it. I had seen it a week before him. So Michael and I were talking, but I kept just, I was not going to spoil I kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to tell him anything about what happened. 
No, no, don't, no, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything right now, okay? If you haven't seen it yet. If you haven't seen it yet, shame on you. You need to go see it. But you do whatever you want to do. But Michael had not seen it. And uh, today's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Michael. Uh, and he had not seen it, so I couldn't talk to him. Well, when I came back from my trip to Japan during that time, he had seen it. And so now our conversation was riddled with Infinity War references. Everything. Every, all during the day, we would look at each other and he would say, if I stand completely still, no one can see me. You know, he would like do imitations of things in the movie and we would laugh and joke. Why? Because we had a shared consciousness, so we discussed it. And as we did, the movie would become a greater reality to us again, although we'd seen it in the past. This is kind of how God consciousness arises and how it's compounded and even developed by me talking to you about it. So this is why, this is number one. If you want to develop a discernment in the presence of God, just talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. It's so funny how so many believers can get together and the last thing they talk about is Jesus. They often come together and talk about every other thing, but what about Jesus? Why can't we mention for a while before we get to those other subjects how great, how awesome, how wonderful our Jesus is? We can do that. And that is one way that we keep ourselves. That's the foundational level of this message about why we have intimacy with Christ or how we develop this consciousness and we should all endeavor to cultivate that awareness by doing exactly what these disciples are doing. Why? Because if there's anything that's going to lead you out of the darkness of your vision of death and pain, it's talking about Jesus. As you talk about Jesus, He comes and He's a life giver. He is the resurrection and when he comes, he will raise you up. He will rise. He's risen for you, but he's inviting you to do the same. Number two, repeat the promises of God. Now Jesus, messing with them, after they say, don't you know what's happened, the things that took place, he says, what things? He, he knows exactly what's taken place. They asked, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now notice past tense. We had hoped. This means that the hope was lost. At this point, the two had lost their hope in the promises that had been spoken concerning Jesus. What he said to them. He said it. Why didn't they just believe it? If Jesus says it, how many of you would agree if Jesus said it, it's true? Yet they're not believing it. How many things has God told you? Has He spoken to you? You believed and accepted it, but they are not a reality in your life. So therefore, it's easy for you to make a choice that it might not be. See, so there's, there's the thing. Faith, when we walk by faith, faith and hope are connected to a, a degree of not having. If you, you're not going to hope for something you already have, then Jesus loves hope. He loves faith. But you don't need faith to have a thing. I don't need faith to have a microphone right now. I have the microphone in my hand. But at this point, he's trying to help them to develop faith to accept the risen Christ. And he's not just going to cheat by showing up as the risen Christ. He won't just give you the things that He has. He, he has things for you. He has a future for you. He's not going to hurt you. He has the future hope about a future and a promise and all the things He says in Jeremiah. Not to harm you. He's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. But there's a process through which you go. And part of it is what we see here that they're going through. But you need to remember what He told you. What did He 
tell you. I've been through a lot of things in this nation. There's been ups and downs, difficulties and trials, and I thank God for every single circumstance, every evolution of what's going on in this country because everything has led to the next step for me to continue to grow and learn. Not, they've not been fun, but it's been good so that we can continue to develop and go on because I know what God has told me. And I repeat those promises all the time. And I looked out the window at dawn at Clark Key and I saw the Valley of Dry Bones. He told me what I needed to do. And whatever it takes, I'm going to get there. And if things don't seem to work out just right, that's fine. Sometimes we just get stretched. God likes to stretch us. He tests us and tests us. Do you ever see how they test concrete? They take a certain cylinder of it and let it solidify and they put so much pressure on it. They put enough pressure until it is destroyed. And they, until that thing breaks, they do not know its strength. And that's exactly what God does. But there's some people that think that God, when He deals with you, will not break you. He just pushes you to the breaking point and then backs up. No, I'm here to say that the sacrifices that He requires, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, He'll break you. He will shatter you into a million pieces. Why? Because then the line is clearly demarcated. He knows exactly where you will break. You know where you will break. And you learn from the stretching. He stretches and stretches and stretches until the rubber band pops. And that will be able, maybe, maybe label that death, but it's not. It's a process that he's using to teach us about who we are, what we are. And why would they do that to the concrete? Why would they crush it? Because they need to make sure when they put it in a building that it's going to support the weight of thousands of people that may live there, that it's of the right strength and consistency and density and material mix to be exactly what it needs to be. So it must be tested before they put it in place. God's not going to put you in the place that you belong until He has broken you again and again and again and again. And so that every time that you come back together, He gathers the pieces and reforms you because He always will. He always will. You'll be stronger in the next level and stronger because he's not going to put you in the wall of his temple until he knows you can hold the weight. Do you understand? He's not going to give you your ministry. He's not going to put you where you belong until he's broken you down enough times and rebuilt you into exactly his design. And when you're going through that, you need to remember to repeat the promise. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Of course, he is the one that's going to redeem Israel. He's the Christ, the risen king. They just don't see it yet. And the funny thing is he's already risen. And they're standing next to him. It's already done. If you ever had a huge problem in your life and you were vexed and miserable and sick and nauseated from the inside out, yet the problem was already solved two days ago, you just didn't know yet. What does that tell you? It tells you that it was a lie. We have emotional responses based upon information. You cannot look at the information. We cannot walk by sight. We walk by faith. And there is a great and a glorious future for you. And if you feel broken, if you feel shattered inside and outside, well, congratulations. It means God is hard at work to make you exactly what you need to be. This is kind of twisted if you look at what Jesus is doing to them. Why can't he just console them? They're miserable. They're miserable. They're in despair. 
downcast. Their countenance is falling. Why can't Jesus just come and say, come on guys, everything's going to be okay? Because there's a lesson to be learned. Because he's a teacher. He always was a teacher. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And he has come to teach us again and again. He says, when he comes, the counsel, he will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything I ever told you. And he will teach you. He will lead you into all truth. He will guide you. He will reveal to you the things to come. All that the Spirit does. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Why do they mention that? Because inside, deep inside, was a little seed of hope to know that the promise had said, third day he would rise. We had hoped. And besides that, it's the third day. This is the day it was supposed to happen. And on top of that, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Because that's all they saw was the natural. They couldn't find the body. There's no evidence. And if you don't show me proof, I'm not going to accept it. You don't show me hard, empirical, scientific proof. If you don't show me the reality of it, I can't accept it. It says they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. A picture of the air quotes. Who said he was alive. In other words, they're told by the angels. It was not a vision, by the way. When you hear the women talk about it, it, it was real. Real angels, really present, really told them they accepted it with no problem, and they ran back to tell, but the disciples did not believe what they had to say. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus, because that's all that mattered to them. They were, they were fixated on the physical. But the spiritual already happened. But they were fixated on, they need to see the real, do you remember Thomas? Remember, he wasn't there. He came back and said, unless I see him, unless I touch him, unless I stick my hands in the holes in his side and in his hands, I will not believe. Because they lost hope. But look what Jesus says in John 20, 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have why? Because greater than the fact of now is the faith of tomorrow. The fact of today and the fact that you accept truth and reality of today does not impress God at all. But that you can believe something that's impossible and does not exist as though it were already in existence, that's faith. And it pleases Him that you understand and know. And really, the human mind is part of our basic earth equipment. And we need to know, understand what Romans 8, 5 and on says. For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desire, set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit, how many of you know the Spirit has desires? He's longing, hoping, Praying and pleading. He's, uh, he's making intercession for you with the groanings that cannot be uttered. And that is that you be a part of exactly what He needs you to do. The desires of the Spirit set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace, both now and forever. 
That is because the mind of the flesh, with its carnal thoughts and purposes, its physical thoughts and purposes, its fleshly ideas, is hostile to God, or does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So we need to turn off the mind of the physical and seek to empower the mind of the spirit. We do this by remembering God's promises. Number three, study the scriptures. Learning to discern the presence of God, learning to discern the plan of God, the future that God has for us, you need to study the word. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus took them through a scriptural journey. And this is amazing because it was about a three-hour walk that they were on this journey. It took about three hours. This is one class I would have loved to have been in. Every time I see it, I'm jealous. A three-hour expose taught by the Messiah about the Messiah exhausting all passages from the entirety of the Word of God concerning Himself. How many of you would like to be there for that message? Boy, I would take notes. I would, I would video it. I would audio record it. I would do everything to absorb every bit of the information. And all he did is he went through all the prophets and the Messianic prophecies about himself. And that was a trip through the Word. Why? To bring these two guys back online to the promises that were written in the Word of God. How foolish you are, he said. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They said it. And so it's a fact. Not just the prophets, but also what Jesus himself told them. But he's pointing them to the lesson that needed to be learned. In this case, study the scriptures. Three hour teaching. Study the scriptures. Everything he taught them. And that's what we do. We need to study the scriptures. If you ever find yourself in a place of doubt and death and you're afraid, just go to the word. It's so funny. I have never been in a hard place and opened the Bible and was further discouraged. Ever. It's never happened. I've tried. I've wished it would at times. Sometimes you just want to be punished and like you want to get scolded or, or like you open the Bible and I'm just ready. Whatever you want to tell me, God, strike me down. And I open it and it's only encouraging. And I see something and joy comes back because the scriptures are life. And even when it is a rebuke to you, even if it is correction in your life, it's, it's wonderful. And it feels warm and tender and kind. We study the scriptures to discern the presence of the Lord. Number four, invite Jesus into your house. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. In other words, it was not his plan to go farther. Once again, he's just, just playing this twisted game, messing with them. Alright guys, see you. See, see you guys later. Bye. Take care. He's walking off as if to leave them there after having spent three hours teaching them these things. Why? Because he needed them to take the next step. He's teaching them to discern his presence and how to live in the plan and the purposes of God. How not to subject yourself to doubt and disbelief. How to find that place. And so he did that and he's waiting for them to do exactly what they do. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us. For it is nearly evening. 
the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I picture him going, okay, guys, bye. And he's walking away. Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Please, please, it's late. Come, stay with us. You, you want me? You, oh, okay. I get, all right. Jesus will play games with you all day long just to teach you, to show you. Come on, you do it with your kids. Do it with your kids. How many times have you played games like that with your kids just to see what they're going to do? And um, the other day we had my little grand grandbaby, uh, my granddaughter, Ami, and she's got these little pouty fits that she goes through and she wants you to pick her up, but the command is follow us and walk. She walks, believe me, she walks. She almost runs all the time. So wherever she wants to go somewhere, you got to run after her. But when you want her to go, suddenly her legs are hurting. And she can't, oh, and she, and so part of the technique is just go on and leave. And that's exactly what we did right by the giant unicorn Gundam in Nodaiba. We were right by that big open park space, and, we're, and she's out there under the trees, and we start walking back toward the shopping mall, and she's watching, like she was just running all over the place. She's perfectly able to come on, come on. And you know, Mies and Tony, they just said, Well, but but I said, No, 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 listen to Gigi, listen, just leave her. Come on, let's just go. Just a wave goodbye. And we did exactly that. Bye, honey. We got we got so far away, she looked that small. It was an open space. I mean, she was saying, <laughs> Big open space. And she's she couldn't believe that we were actually leaving. And lo and behold, her legs start gaining strength. <laughs> Mobility returned to her little body. And then way from a far distance, I got on my knees and I put my hands out. And she started running. And then a smile came out of her face. And she ran all the way to me and I hugged her. And I carried her, of course, the rest of the way. These are lessons to teach the child to continue. This is exactly what Jesus has done. It's what he does with us all the time. He gives us all kinds of opportunities to quit. He gives us all kinds of opportunities to let him go on. He does exactly what Elijah did with Elisha. We see the pattern throughout the Word of God. He uses this kind of technique to take away all the time. Like when a car salesman tries to sell you a car, and you like the car, and you, you have an attitude about it. Well, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, whatever. they got ten people waiting to see it. I'll see it. Walk away. They call it the walk away. They know you. I do that in Soul Kitchen. People come by and look at the little menu on the glass and they see the things and I walk out and tell them. I said, oh, welcome to Soul Kitchen. Oh, we are authentic American food and these are the things on, oh, no, I'm just, I'm just, just kind of looking. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. And I walk away. Whatever you want. It's just, it's, uh, you know, chef has 33 years of experience, but whatever. It's authentic New Orleans food from people who live in New Orleans. It's like going to a bistro in New Orleans. So it's, it's what it is. So anyway. Have, see, have a good day. See, and I know, and I go inside, I close the door, I go inside and wait. <laughs> my back door. And then the, the door opens. Like eight, eight, eight out of ten times I say, can we sit inside? Yeah, come on in. Oh, I thought you were going on. I did the takeaway. Yeah, I don't need you. Just, okay, fine. That's what, that's what Jesus does to us. <laughs> do, why? Because do we value it? Do you value the presence of Jesus in your home? And will you do what it takes to get him there? It's like he has climbed a tree. And he's the only man on that road that day that heard the words, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to your house. And it's exactly what happened. Invite Jesus into your house. 
Holy Spirit is a gentle and loving friend that will never force himself into your life. He must be urged strongly. You must say, stay with us. Stay with us. Please, Holy Spirit. If you don't say this every day, you're moving away. This is not your daily prayer. If you're not daily urging Him strongly to be an ever-present part of your life, He is starting to let you go. It's just the way He is. He wants to be valued by you. That's called worship. To value. To praise Him. To honor Him. To value Him. Do you urge Him strongly to stay I do. I do every day. David did even after his worst sins. That's what he said. Take not your spirit from me. Cast me not away from your presence. Let's go to number five. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, here we see number five, have communion with Jesus. After you get him to come into your house, you need to have a time of lingering fellowship with him, make it a social event, break bread with Jesus, and when you do, your eyes will be open. I love, what, see this technique, by the way, that I'm explaining to you in this passage, what Jesus did, I use this technique on people in a spiritual context. This is the problem when it comes to, and I'm speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gotten a bad name out there. You know why? Because people who do not know the Holy Spirit have represented Him to people in a way that has caused them to not be happy about the Holy Spirit. They've blamed things on the Spirit that the Spirit has not done. They accuse the Holy Spirit of things. Sometimes things connected to hype, exaggeration, even lies, manipulation and control. They say the Lord said this, the Lord did that, the Holy Spirit, this, that, the other, and, and it can be misrepresented often to people. And when he's misrepresented, people begin to devalue what the Holy Spirit is, especially if they've never known the Holy Spirit. It's like that in some areas that I've been, in Cambodia it's like that among some ministries. We had one individual that is actually part of our group and went in and decided that everybody needed the power of the Holy Spirit and that they needed to hear the power of the Holy Spirit, the power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And, and it was presented in such a way that it was a bit judgmental according to the words of the people that received the message. These are friends of mine. So I was there. I, I, was, I saw the whole thing take place. And then they suddenly didn't want to hear anything about the Holy Spirit because the one who was presenting it to them in this way, and not just that one, but many others had presented it in kind of an arrogant and boastful way. Remember, we just saw last week, one thing Jesus will never do is force himself on us. So why would we force the Holy Spirit on people? We don't need to. The Holy Spirit is quite capable. All we need to do is testify about the truth of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will find the way to the people. And so now I have this task to try to find a way. And one of these individuals that I'm connected with, they have had that attitude because they've been a little burnt about Holy Spirit people because they're not really Holy Spirit people themselves. When I say Holy Spirit people, I mean 
people pretty much believe exactly how we believe, or the way um, charismatics believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And to say that if you don't have exactly our brand of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you do not have the Holy Spirit. Be very careful. You don't have the right to say that. We forbade him because he was casting out devils in your name. And Well, it's by the power of the Spirit that he was doing it. He had the Spirit. He just wasn't their brand. Jesus was very angry about that. So recently I was doing a message and the fellow that I'm working with and he was interpreting the message. I did a message uh, two months ago and interpreting the message. When I was talking to him, he, he felt something and not to look at his arms. And say, oh, brother, I feel that. Oh. And I didn't say, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. I didn't have to understand because he connected it to Jesus because we were talking about Jesus. And all I said was, yeah, that's him. Isn't he wonderful? It's, oh, brother, oh, yes, he's so warm. And I said, yeah. Didn't have to say, I didn't say, ah, I did to take away. Yeah. Walked away, I literally walked away. Fast forward, six weeks or almost two months later, it's time to do another message. And he took that message that I shared with him the first time, if he's watching, he knows this, and he took that message and shared it with all kinds of people in his language. And he said, brother, every time I share that feeling, and I said, wow, isn't that wonderful how God honors His Word? Because what's anointed is anointed whether you believe it or not. Which is amazing about the anointing. Once the anointing sticks to a thing, it does not matter what somebody thinks about it because it is not limited by our imagination or our ability to believe or not believe. It is real. So he shared then this new message. I'm in the village and I'm with him and he's interpreting this message specifically about Zacchaeus. And I got to the point where Ezekiel climbed the tree saying, you need to do something unusual to get the attention. He's the only man on the road that day that heard Jesus say, today I'm going to your house. How many of you want Jesus to go to your house? And then he looked at me before he interpreted that line and he said, oh, brother, oh, oh, oh. He felt it. And I just said, interpret it. <laughs> I'm done. Don't quit now. Just say it. Because it requires. Remember, the anointed voice activated. He had to say it in their language. He got so excited. He was, we were all sitting there on the floor. At that point, he got up. And he interpreted. And when he did, the power of God was there. Praise And he went, oh. And they all looked, and half the people had tears in their Why? Because. Then their eyes were opened. I love watching people's eyes open. That had never seen. Jesus was there the whole time. They didn't see it. But there's a development. There's a process of learning <laughs> about seeing it. You can be blind to a thing that God wants to do, but then if you have communion with if you just spend enough time breaking bread with him, there's a moment that comes and he opens your eyes. And you see what you could never see before. They recognized him. And right there, he disappeared from their sight. He vanished. Why? Lesson learned, check by. They had it. Oh, 
Once you have it, it can never be taken away. Once your eyes are open, once you have been enlightened, you have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. There's no going back. Their eyes were open. Jesus' his job was done. He's like, adios, I'm out of here. Elvis has left the building. He's like, thank you very much. Walked out the Colosseum as they stood there. Stood there. Eyes open. Eyes open. Mouths hanging up, I imagine. And then just look at each other. And that brings us to number six. Testify about your experience. They asked each other. In that moment that their eyes were open, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Didn't we know it? We felt it, man. Don't you remember? It was like fire. The closer we got to a mouse, the hotter it got. Why did we know that? Because Jesus was teaching them how to do it. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Why did they do that? There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They said, We saw Jesus. We didn't know it at first, but he was there. Not the only time Jesus did, Jesus did this with John the Baptist. It was a while. But the Father said, the one upon whom you see the Spirit descend in the form of a dove, that's the one, that's how you know who it is. And John saw it when he saw it. He said, I didn't recognize him before that point because we don't automatically, by default, recognize it. We learn by direction. And this is a lesson being taught. Jesus was recognized by them when he broke it. And he had to tell somebody. Because this is an important element of how you grow in the discernment of the Spirit. You tell people about it. You tell people about Jesus. Oh, he said, you said the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. You tell people about the Spirit of Christ. Say whatever you want. Call it Him. I just called it Him. And that's how it affected that man interpreting. Not once did I say, the Holy Ghost. I just said Jesus. In a worse circumstance in India, you've heard the testimony, I just called him peace. And it's still And the people felt it. Revelation 12, 11 says, they triumphed over him, Antichrist, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. When you testify about him. The same thing that started the whole process is what increases your revelation of God and His presence. What started the process? They were walking on the road talking about those things. And those that talked often one to another about the Lord, the Lord hears from heaven. And Jesus comes. Two or more gathered in His name. They said the name. And there He was in the midst of them. Our words spoken to each other are the catalyst for the power of of revelation. When we speak our testimony, it manifests the power to believe and for the belief of others. They hear it and they believe. When we 
come to the seventh and final one. Yeah. Allow God to open your mind. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood on Because <laughs> they did it again. See, now by repetition they're learning. Hey, guys, guess what? Every time we talk about him, he shows up. They did it. While they were still talking about him, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I sure wish it had said instead, Surprise! <laughs> Because he just showed up. Ta-da! But he said instead, Peace be with you. I can picture him saying, Peace be with you. Because he was peace. He was the God of peace. He showed up. How did they respond? They were startled and frightened. Thinking they saw a ghost. Why? Because they were so deeply entrenched in their disbelief the reality was considered a ghost. It's a figment of our imagination. It can't be real. There's no way that's real. It's a ghost. Jesus found this humorous, but he's getting a little tired of reteaching the same lessons again and again. Look, don't drag your feet when it comes to learning to discern the presence of God. Just move along. Come on, yield. Yield. Don't have him have to come back and tell you again and again and again. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Come on, look at my hands. Look at my hands and my, and my feet. Look. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He literally said, look, look. See, see, see. Touch it. Touch it. As far as St. Thomas, here it is. There's the hole. You wanted to do it? Come on. I love the response of Thomas. He fell on his face and he worshipped. Oh, he literally fell on his face and he worshipped. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> worshipped Jesus. Oh, Jesus. So when you really meet him, there's, you, there's, there's, there's no other recourse. There's no other path to take to worship. When he really comes, you, you don't have a choice but to worship. I don't care. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how, how much pain you're in. I don't care what difficulties you're in life. When the real Jesus is in the room, you have no other recourse. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.